Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. First Kings, chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and have killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You shall anoint Jehu of Nimshi as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of abel Mahaulah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here ends our gospel lesson. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In a casual conversation with some European friends a few years ago, I was surprised to hear them say that European tourists love to visit Las Vegas when they travel to the United States. Really? I said. Las Vegas? Why Las Vegas? Oh yeah, they said. Europeans love to go to Las Vegas because it is so different than any of our cities. I had to concede that there is no city in Europe which is like Nevada's heralded Sin City, at least that I know of. Nothing against Las Vegas is a place to go and hang out especially for a fun weekend away. But if I were an international traveler, I would assume folks would want to visit places of higher ideals and substance than a city with a reputation for gambling, gangsters, and cabarets. I would have thought that national parks like Glacier or the Grand Canyon would be must-sees. Cities like New York, D.C., or L.A. would be places that those from across the pond would want to check out. 
or any number of museum or resort towns would beat out the city where you're not supposed to talk about what you do there. Alas, though, I was wrong. When crossing the Atlantic, many, perhaps most, who herald from Germany, Norway, or other European countries want to see the glitz and glam of the Strip more than our open spaces, dynamic metropolises, or any other things that the United States has to offer. I suppose there's something to be said for wanting to be dazzled by the lights, noise, action, and adventure of a place like Las Vegas and all that it has to offer. Life can seem pretty routine from day to day, week to week, and to get away to a place that is built on the stimulating, exciting, entertaining, and even bizarre can be a real draw. For Europeans whose cities and towns are known for their centuries-old plazas, churches, and castles, a city that reinvents itself every season probably stands out as uniquely different, interesting, and enjoyable. A place known for the spectacular provides a stark contrast to those cities known for being statuesque, staid, and stately. Whether it is enjoyed for hosting the PBR championship, numerous trade shows, or the countless tourists and weekend adventurers who make their way to the desert, Las Vegas is geared towards impressing visitors with all sorts of razzle-dazzle effects and experiences that are unique to modern life. Other parts of the West, like the Mission Valley where we live, feature another style of razzle-dazzle in the form of beautiful mountain vistas. As we remember Rod Steggy again this week, who was called to join the great heavenly cloud of witnesses last summer. I remember the many long phone conversations he and I had over the phone while I was interviewing to be the pastor here in Ronan from our seminary apartment in Iowa. We discussed many random things in those conversations, but he really tried to get his hooks in me uh, in promoting Ronan and the wider area when he said, you know, when you drive over Ravalli Hill and see Mission Falls and the Mission Mountains, there really is no greater view in the whole world. It's a good thing that many of our friends and family are able to share their final resting place beneath our mountain range. And I am grateful that Rod, as much as anyone else, was able to take his final rest here where he found the most peace. The salesman's pitch of the missions worked for this budding Iowa preacher as the spectacle of our mountain grandeur drew me and mine not only to move here from over a thousand miles away, but also to stay here for a while. Whether it be lights, cameras, and action, or dynamic views of the northern Rockies piercing up into the horizon, the big, the audacious, the mesmerizing, and the wondrous can draw us away from ourselves to see something more exciting on the horizon. The glitz of the Vegas Strip enthralls many with almost youthful vigor of excitement, thrill, and even reckless abandon. The jagged peaks of Mount McDonald or Mount Kalawakan provide an almost transcendent or surreal viewing experience and can inspire one to climb and camp, hunt and fish, hike and bike as other landscapes simply do not.
There's something to the big, obvious, and flashy things around us which stand out in stark and distinct ways and make us take notice of them. When it comes to big and obvious names from the Bible, there are few prophets more legendary and well-known than Elijah. He is recorded as performing impossible healing miracles, being blessed by God's unfailing protection amidst severe famine, and even being carried off to heaven at the end of his life on earth by a chariot of fire. In our first lesson, we meet Elijah as he was fighting for God's chosen people, the Israelites, to remain faithful to the God who had led them out to freedom from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. He had just stood up against hundreds of prophets of Baal and proved that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, is real and alive, while their quote-unquote God was fake, a mere idol of human creation. Being a prophet of such legendary fame, we might think that he was worthy of all the bells and whistles that the world has to offer, which he was. It follows that a leader of such great renown would be honored with great symbols of his significance, gifts of his grandeur, luxuries worthy of his loft. Instead, he was driven to the desert in despair. He was honored for his faithfulness with loneliness, isolation, and depression that at one time brought him to wish for death on account of his loyalty to our Lord. By worldly, material standards, Elijah's lot was anything but great and glorious, even though he was legendary in the Lord's eyes and the scriptural record. Despite all this, we read about the prophet's experience of being closer to the Almighty than anyone other than Moses or the Son of God himself. We might expect the Lord to have appeared to Elijah in a similar way to the flashy glitz and glam of the Strip or the surreal jutting beauty of the Northern Rockies. It would make sense that God might appear in big, obvious, or flashy ways. The Almighty who exists before all and over all surely has the power to be revealed in any way possible. Yet the way that God chose might surprise you if you did not already know the ending. Just after facing down those false prophets who were favored by King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, Elijah was taking refuge for the night in a cave on Mount Horeb. There the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In a scene that is strikingly similar to how the Lord appeared to Moses as he was leading the Israelites out of slavery, Elijah stood on the mountain and waited for the Lord's presence to be revealed. The text then says, Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, 
He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him. Rock-splitting gales of wind and earthquake trembling the ground beneath Elijah's feet, a fire threatening to consume reeds and trees all around the mountain. All big, wondrous, obvious events in which one might expect would reveal the Lord of heaven and earth. Yet the Lord was not in them. God was not found among these literally earth-shattering events that are still to this day as likely as anything else to bring people to pray for God's protection. God was in the silence. After the calamity and chaos subsided, God came to Elijah as a whisper. In the stillness of the world, the prophet found his creator. Beyond the bigness, grandiosity, and clamoring events of that moment, God spoke from the silence. In his loneliness, isolation, and obscurity, the Lord urged Elijah to keep going and keep resisting the evil leaders and forces of his day. More importantly, from the silence, the Lord urged Elijah to keep advocating for the good, no matter what. In doing so, God provided a lesson that rings through the ages. May we all hear the voice of God which emerges from the silence of our world, and may that voice compel us onward to where we need to go. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.